Welcome in. Good to have you. Beautiful Monday afternoon in the Motor City. And we are following a lot today. Yes, Donald Trump is in court this afternoon. And ideally here, uh, the situation that I think Donald Trump find himself in, because he didn't have to be in court today. This is a civil fraud trial. And Donald Trump did not need to be there, but he says that he attended it because he wanted to, quote, watch the witch hunt himself. And first day of this civil fraud trial against former President Donald Trump in New York City, his sons, Eric and Don, and other Trump organization executives uh, last week. A New York Supreme Court judge found that Trump and his co-defendants were liable for fraud for inflating asset valuations on financial statements. This trial is to determine if there were damages owed or how much damages are owed. Now, Donald Trump continues to maintain that this is just another form of election interference. This has to do with election interference, plain and simple. They're trying to damage me so that I don't do as well as I'm doing in the election. But meanwhile, Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, said that there were examples and evidence of repeated fraud in this case. Donald Trump and the other defendants have committed persistent and repeated fraud. All right. So Donald Trump says, look, this is another form of witch hunt. I'm up by 10 points over Joe Biden and... This is just a way to stymie my election, stymie my campaign, and stymie my efforts to get back to the White House. Here's my question. Does Trump have a point? Because up until Letitia James was elected in 2018, she said then that he should know that we here in New York, and I in particular, we are not scared of you. She also pledged to shine a bright light into every dark corner of his real estate dealings and every dealing demanding truthfulness at every turn. Now, here's here's where where I ask you, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Does Donald Trump have a point? Because as a city councilwoman like Letitia James was, she had no evidence that Donald Trump may or may not have been committing financial fraud or or evaluating his assets uh, in, in an inflationary manner. She had no evidence of that. So to say that she's going to shine a light on every dark corner and we're not scared of you. I mean, look, th- th- you may hear things you may. I mean, look, New York City's biggest city in the world. You, you, there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. But if you have no evidence and you're going after him as a as a political means, I think Donald Trump may have a point here because it, it to me, that is textbook bias. There is she had no evidence to support any of her claims that she even needed to find the truthfulness at every turn. Trump's attorneys also taking aim at Michael Cohen, the former fixer of Donald Trump. His attorney saying that their major linchpin is Michael Cohen. So when you talk about credibility, you're going to have a guy who lies to everyone and is a convicted felon. So as the the central piece of the prosecution's case here in this civil trial, there's there are obviously questions that the president's 
defense staff is going to raise, and Michael Cohen is going to be one of them as this thing goes on. But by the way, this thing is supposed to go till mid to late December. Um, according to a new AP NORAC poll, in conjunction with the University of Chicago, Americans view college campuses as far friendlier to liberals than to conservatives when it comes to free speech. 47% of adults say liberals have, quote, a lot more freedom to express their views on college campuses, while just 20% say that conservatives have that same freedom. But at the same time, lawmakers in dozens of states have proposed bills aiming to limit public colleges from teaching certain topics that they consider divisive or flat-out liberal. 30% of Americans say that states should be able to restrict what professors and universities teach. So roughly one in three Americans. That's a, a pretty big number. Um, how about this? The UAW strike in the day 18. 25,000 plus rank and file are on the picket lines. And the assumption is that thousands more are going to join them Towards the end of the week, once more targeted locations are added, if these talks don't uh, really progress to a level that the UAW wants. You got Ford coming out on Friday and CEO Jim Farley. Uh, In some of the most public kind of on record comments about negotiations ever. And saying that the union is holding the deal hostage over the automakers' four planned electric vehicle plants in the United States. So this thing is far from over, it seems. I kind of was targeting uh, Halloween in the hopes that that we would get it done before then. And as we now sit here in in early October, uh, certainly the the worry here is that this really stretches out further into the coming weeks. Miguel Cabrera, Dave... Jason, uh, Miggy played his last game yesterday. Now, my question to you is, did you get emotional? Because this is arguably, now, arguably, one of the greatest Tigers of all time, arguably one of the greatest baseball players of all time, finished his career with above 300 batting average, over 3,100 hits, 511 home runs, this guy did things that we have, haven't have seen, haven't seen, may never see again. Did you get emotional yesterday watching all of that? I thought it was cool to watch. I thought that uh, getting him up for his final at-bat in the seventh, which I was, I, I, I think, uh, I wish the pitcher might have given him something to hit instead of walking him. Yeah, but can, can we get a meatball, please, right, down exactly. Woodward? Right, and then, and then they And then I thought it was cool they put him in to play first base. Yep. He gets the first out himself. Did you hear the story about the glove? Yeah. He, so, he threw his glove out. So Miggy doesn't. So you know, Miggy for years played first base, right? And when it became apparent, whether it was injury related, age related, he, he wasn't able to play first base on a regular basis anymore. So they they basically moved him to DH a couple of years ago. So he got rid of his first baseman glove, which which is so weird. I don't know how you get rid of it. I just would imagine you'd have it on hand just in case. Yeah, he said he threw it out. Yeah, but he doesn't have it anymore. And and so he was like, uh, when it became apparent that he was going to get out to first base to play. Uh, he's like, I don't have a first baseman's glove. So we asked Torkelson, Spencer Torkelson, the current first baseman right. for the Tigers, and Tork gave him his glove. And that first, I mean, look, I, I know there's been a lot of talk about the baseball gods and all those things, yeah. but first out of the of the last inning and that ball 
rolls to Maggie, backhands it, crosses first for his his last play as a as a tiger. Yeah, AJ brings out his family, brings out the cool. family. I thought whoever was in charge of the music, awesome, great call playing the natural, awesome, love it was that. great, love that movie. Everything uh, was great. It was really good. And then afterwards. Uh, Torkelson had Miggy sign it with all the accolades, the all-star appearances, triple crown, batting titles, cool. all that. Yeah. And now now Torkelson's going to retire it. I found an interesting article when I Last was... Last uh, glove Miggy ever used to play baseball. I, was, I found an interesting article when I was on with Mark Hollis yesterday. They did the top 24 Detroit JR Tigers. Sunday of, with Mark Hollis. Correct. They did the top 24 Tigers of all time based on war. Oh, Miggy. Okay. And where do you think Miggy fell on that Number list? Number one. No. Where? 13th. Really? Yes. Number, Who was above n- him? Lou Whitaker was above him. Alan Trammell was okay. above him. Um, okay. At number one was Ty Cobb. Number two was Al Kaline. Ty Cobb. And they said that when you war talk about... War with Ty Cobb? Yeah. When you talk about war, it is the most comprehensive it's, assessment of a player. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, so, to me, that makes sense nowadays yeah. because there's so much more involved. Right. But I don't know that you could equate Ty Cobb's it stats a, to win. It was a you guess, guess, guess who war. number twenty four on the list was Mark Hollis's favorite Tiger ever, Chet Curtis L- Granderson. Chet Lemon. <laughs> yeah, okay, I don't know. All I mean, right, I it, wouldn't have guessed. I mean, what a cool! It was a cool list. It was really cool to look at. Yeah, it's interesting. Jason, did you get a little emotional yesterday? Uh, no, because it's you know it's time to move on. I want. Ah, oh, I love it, Jason. I'm with you. We we need to. Miggy hasn't channel. been Miggy in almost the, the a decade. The cap space is cleared, Jason. The right. cap space is so cleared. Time to get some some look, some offense look, look, to this team. You're going to be able to. How much? What, what, what was that? Twenty five, thirty, almost thirty million bucks a year. Thirty two million, something 32 like million. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, uh, you, you're going to be able to go out and get somebody, right? And uh, and and hopefully you cover up the the abysmal play of Javi Bias, but. Look, it is what Talk it is. Talk about a contract that's going to be tough to get out of. It is what it is. Uh, maybe, maybe he opts out, but I doubt it. Team started playing a little better. Very exciting time, and I thought everything was was uh, was was a nice send off for Miggy, who will be staying with the organization. All right, we got to take a break. Sean Fain, the head of the UAW, telling the UAW members, the rank and file, this. We'll talk about that next on JR Afternoon. All right, I got a couple lines open. On this Donald Trump question, does Donald Trump have a point in this case when he says this is all politically motivated? Letitia James, from the moment she got elected in 2018, set her sights on Donald Trump. I read you the quote, and and I think that Donald Trump may in this case have a point that maybe there is some 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 bias here into Letitia James looking into Donald Trump. It's one thing to hear of of, you know, potential wrongdoing on the streets of New York or even people who are in the know. But it's a different thing when you set your sights on somebody and, and, and have zero evidence of it because you weren't attorney general. So I, I, I'm just interested to know if you think that Donald Trump has a point in this case. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. I got a couple of lines for you. We will get to those calls momentarily. But I did want to throw this into the mix because what we saw Friday, I think, was very interesting. The UAW came out. Sean Fain announced more strike locations as they continue this stand up strike targeting specific facilities within the big three. But what we also saw is Ford and Jim Farley coming out and saying, well, wait a second. 
We think that now the UAW is doing this deliberately. We think that the UAW is is withholding this type of of information that and basically holding the deal hostage that would hopefully lead to a, a, a signed deal, a signed agreement. And I think this is kind of the, the latest revelation in a much more public set of contract negotiations. Brianna Noble is with the Detroit News and joins us. Brianna, it's good to have you. What did you make first? Let, let, let's talk about what Sean Fain had to say. Because Sean Fain basically says that the UA that 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 the big three are trying to drive a wedge between the UAW and the rank and file. What what did you make of that? Yeah, hi Chris, thanks for having me. Uh, UAW President Sean Fain did visit the picket lines in Toledo, Ohio, on Saturday, following some of the messaging that we heard from uh, companies like Ford and, and General Motors on Friday. And his message was, you know. Don't take these messages. Don't allow them to divide workers who are, you know, on strike. Don't let it create doubts. You know, he said he was trying to communicate a a strong message that the UAW is in a strong position to get what it is seeking at the negotiations table. Well, Sean Fain called it complete bull bleep. And the fact that the UAW and the rank and file were, were being driven apart by by the big three. What's interesting here is I, I think the developments over this strike and, and even in the weeks leading up to the strike, the rhetoric that Sean Fain used to to rally up the troops, if you will. And then the very public way of talking about the negotiations as they were happening, throwing counteroffers in the garbage live on Facebook. And I think that's that's caused the C-level suites or the heads of these companies the Mark Royces of the worlds, the Mary Barrs of the worlds, the Jim Farleys of the worlds to, to come out and plead their case too. And Jim Farley saying that he feels like at this point that the UAW is, is holding these deals hostage. Like they almost have preconceived notions about that they were going to strike and how long they're going to strike for because they say they've made competitive packages. I talk, I've been talking a lot about the line. For Sean Fain and, and, and the big three. What's the line that you're going to hold out for? Because these packages, you know, upwards of 20% in wages, things like that. Those are competitive offers on some of the key categories for the UAW. But what's the line? So when does the rank and file look at this and say, okay, we need to make a move on this because these are good deals. For sure. That's a great question. And, you know, I think up until this point, you know, right now we've seen a lot of continued support from the rank and file of uh, President Sean Fain. Um, you hear people talking about hashtag no Fain, no gain. Um, people making uh, T-shirts to to support then voice their support for what uh, President Fain and the negotiators are seeking at the bargaining table. Um, you know, as the the strike goes on, we'll see you know how that um, changes or, or continues. Um, but for for right now, we're seeing still a strong, vibrant vigor from uh, workers, and you know they have seen and experienced these the inflation over the past few years. You know, they want to see wage increases. They want to see an end to tears that. Um, they believed was going to, only going to be temporary uh, amid the Great Recession and the, mm -hmm. the 
bailouts and bankruptcies. Um, so those are some of the key issues for, for workers and that they want to see um, those happen. They'd like to see, you know, pensions being reinstated and retirement health care and all of those um, things that the union has stated that they are seeking. Yeah, and the UAW, I mean, remember, you, you talked about the Great Recession. They're, they're essentially making per hour, like what the, the automaker pays per hour. Uh, they're making about what they were making in 2011, right? It's about $65, $66 an hour. So they, they almost look at this like they're trying to be made whole. But at the same time, I, I'm curious to know what you're hearing maybe from some of the rank and file that look at these negotiations. I understand that there's a lot of excitement for Sean Fain, especially because – uh, again, I think he he says a lot of buzzy words, you know, like other presidents in the past or negotiations in the past have overpromised and underdelivered for for the membership. But at the same time, I I think a lot of this fight, if you will, stems around not only just wages or or trying to get a raise or a better you know uh, work life balance, as Sean Fain likes to put it, but it's also the future of the UAW. You know, Jim Farley says it's going to take roughly forty percent of the workforce that they have now uh, of the union workforce to build EVs. And so a lot of the fight seems to be securing these jobs into the future. Is that how the UAW rank and file look at it too? Yeah, absolutely. There, You do hear a lot of concerns about, you know, what the transition to electric vehicles means for workers and, and wanting to ensure have a security in, in their future. Um, absolutely. It's one of the, the key issues as well. I'm curious when you think these these negotiations are, are going to come to a head, because Sean Fain says they've still made progress, but they're nowhere where, na- where they need to be. It, 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 they've been on a, a, you know, a dangerous game of chicken, it feels like, for, for the last few weeks. But but where, where do you think the progress is lacking? And, 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 and I mean, it's hard to you know, guesstimate kind of when we're going to we're going to get a deal here. But do, do you have any sense on on where they're at with this? Yeah, I'm the so President Sean Fain, you know, he has emphasized that job security in the transformation to electric vehicles remains a key concern, as well as looking at um, retirement benefits um, and retirement security. Those are some of the key issues that we heard highlighted over the weekend um, when it comes to sort of looking ahead what the future of negotiations entails um, from. Ford CEO Jim Farley on Friday, you know, from their perspective, they feel like what has been emphasized has been um, where stands the workers who will be working at the joint venture battery manufacturing plants. Um, That's sort of where that hostage um, Mm -hmm. comment came from. Um, You know, I know uh, last week, President Fain did emphasize that that issue is a matter of uh, Per, uh, permissive issue of bargaining, yeah. which is not something that, um, you know, can hold up a tentative agreement um, in the under law. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from the union's point of view, there's other issues that they are seeking. Brianna Noble, great stuff with the Detroit News. We'll continue to check your stuff out as we continue to follow these negotiations with UAW and the Big Three. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. You want to weigh in on the UAW? It's there for you, too. 800-859-0957. We're talking Donald Trump next, right here on JR Afternoon. Don't go anywhere. Letitia James campaigned on getting Trump. That's what this is about. Election interference. Letitia James, Alvin Bragg, Fonnie Willis. 
Merrick Garland and Joe Biden. This is designed to do nothing else but stop President Trump as he's leading by 10 points in the general election. That is Jason Miller, former President Donald Trump's 2024 campaign senior advisor. And I, I, my question to you is, does Donald Trump have a point here? Because Letitia James, when she got elected in 2018, she said that she was coming for Donald Trump. He should know that we, we here in New York and I in particular are not scared of you. She also pledged to shine a bright light into every dark corner of his real estate dealings and every dealing demanding truthfulness at every turn. That's a quote. Now, I, I, I look, I'm no attorney, but she would have no access to any of the records that she would be referencing in coming after Donald Trump with things like that. So, so does Donald Trump have a point when he says this is politically motivated, it's a witch hunt, and... In reality, this is all in an effort to smear him, smear his campaign. And as he says it, he's got a 10-point lead on Joe Biden. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Dave is in Rochester. Dave, I appreciate the, the hold. What's up, Dave? Hey, Chris. How are you? Good. Yeah. What's the, Maybe you can answer. What's that with the right wing? Whenever there's tons of evidence of something, there's nothing there. And when there's nothing there, there's tons of evidence or needs to be investigated. I don't know. I'm pretty consistent. Well, okay, here's a good example. Letisha James, she ran at the end of 2018 for her seat. She took Mm -hmm. 2019, okay? Mm -hmm. The evidence was out there. The evidence had not been adjudicated. You know, you watch a a, a Ryder Cup or a Tiger ball game, well, Unless that's the scores adjudicated in court. The New York Times. Well, it's not quite the same, Dave. It's not quite the same. She she hadn't seen any of that information. Yes, she did. She did. It was all laid out. Did you ever hear the New York Times? Sure. Did you ever hear the expose they did back on October 2nd? But my point is, this is a legal matter. And to get that that evidence. Okay, but Dave, that's that's a news story. They so, got the evidence from Mary Trump. They got the evidence from a numerous things that this wasn't put in court at that point. Okay. What else? What else? What else do you think of, on this? Well, I, I think so. But wait, but wait, Dave. Dave a, my, but a, wait, hold on, Dave. Hold on. Let, let, let me just say this. I first of all, me. You can come after me all you want. I never said that Donald Trump shouldn't be investigated. I never said that this is this is a uh, I never said that this was a witch hunt. Donald Trump said that. All I'm saying is, from her perspective, you can quote the New York Times all you want, but until you see these documents for yourself and evidence, you got nothing. You got nothing. They put the documents out there. Mary Trump gave her tax from her family on on the history right. of, of Dave. I appreciate. It. We're not going to see eye to eye on this because this is to me this is a legal matter, and when you have the authority to look into it is one thing. But citing a news story, citing a New York Times piece, that's not gospel. Now you may use it as evidence, but that's not gospel. That's not uh, that's not admissible in court in terms of finding the evidence to to pursue this path that they may be able to use that as a piece. But to come out and say after you get elected that you're coming after him, all I'm saying is, is it fair for Donald Trump to come out and say, look, this is this is this is a witch hunt. Is, Is that a fair 
assessment of this particular case. Vince in Northville. What's up, Vince? Hey, um, real, real quick. Uh, good afternoon. Just to let you know, the prosecuting attorney in this number one is not an appraiser. Okay. She does not know anything about fraud when it comes to that. Cause she's not a licensed appraiser for real estate. She furthermore cannot hire a New York person to appraise Mar-a-Lago and the property for financial fraud. Number three, all of Trump's assets are insured by insurance companies. Okay. Before an insurance company goes ahead and insures a piece of property, they're going to send out an army of appraisers because they've got to foot the bill in the event that the thing burns down, okay? So to go ahead and say Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million, an insurance company would love to foot that bill if that thing gets damaged, okay? So number one, I want to see where all the documents that they have... Which, by the way, uh, Donald Trump's attorneys say that Mar-a-Lago is valued at a billion dollars. Well, possibly. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is they've committed fraud because they've got no documentation. Number one, they're not licensed real estate people. I'm a licensed contractor. I can't work on your home or even talk to you without my license to make an assessment because I'm a licensed professional. Appraisers are the exact same way. So this is all a fraud that this judge and this prosecutor are guesstimating that he committed fraud because all they got to do subpoena the insurance documentation on every asset, intrinsic asset that he has. Now, mind you, he may be a billionaire, but I know he's not self-insured. And some of this, of his insurance policies, are held in escrow over with the Lloyds of London. People start need to start doing their education when it comes to insurance companies. He hasn't committed fraud because the insurance companies he has to insure all of his assets. Well, and this is what Donald Trump said, because he said he doesn't even know why the banks are involved here. My financial statements are phenomenal. They are actually less in terms of the numbers used than the actual net worth. The actual net worth is substantially more. No bank was affected. No bank was hurt. They don't even know why they have to be involved. Here's the other part in this, too, is is Donald Trump, not surprisingly, uh, also putting the judge uh, in the crosshairs as well. Well, Arthur Engeron, he's the judge overseeing this case at the at the lunch break. By the way, they resumed. Trump called him a Democrat and an operative saying that the case against him was a disgrace. He also attacked Letitia James for going after him instead of violent criminals in the state of New York, particularly in New York City. He said, we're going to be here for months with a judge that already made up his mind. It's ridiculous. They waste their time with this with banks that are very happy they got all their money back. They weren't defrauded. I've been defrauded, he said. So Donald Trump in court till early or excuse me, mid to late December is when this case is expected to span. So that'll put you within now the election cycle. And this is the 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 first case that he's going to be that, that that's going to be in the spotlight for Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump has a 10 point lead, according to some polls right now over Joe Biden. Let me ask you this. I want you to look into your crystal ball. Does Donald Trump's lead. Grow, does it stay the same or does it decrease as these trials progress? Because. This particular case doesn't involve just Donald Trump. It, it, it involves Don Jr. It involves Eric Trump. 
it involves other executives within the Trump organization. I don't think this is going to politically hurt him, but I think that there's something to be said if his lead and his and his uh, support continues to grow. That's going to be very telling for Donald Trump as he marches inside that 12-month mark, 11-month mark of the 2024 general election. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. We'll take a break, get to more of your calls and texts coming up next here on JR Afternoon. There was no crime. The crime is against me because we have a corrupt district attorney, but we have a corrupt attorney general. And it all comes down from the DOJ that totally coordinated this in Washington because I'm leading. I'm the leading candidate. I'm leading Biden by 10 points. That's Donald Trump, who Letitia James is accusing of overstating his wealth by billions of dollars, the value of his properties, hundreds of million dollars, while also seeking loans. Donald Trump has denied this wrongdoing. Now, last week, the New York Supreme Court uh, and a judge there found that Donald Trump and his co-defendants are liable for fraud for inflating asset valuations on financial statements. This case will determine if there are damages owed and to uh, the, the tune of how much would be owed. But Donald Trump says that this is all a witch hunt once again. And he didn't even have to be in court today. He's back in court right now. But he said he wanted to see the witch hunt on, uh, up close and personal. What do you what do you make of this? 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. I wanted to throw this into the mix, too. Danielle, you have a cell phone. You had cell phones in, in high school. Uh, yes. They're not the same kind of, I, I mean, we went to high school at the same time. They're not the same kind of cell phones as they were then. No, mine was a flippy, a flip. You had, it, it was you, called an oyster, but it was a flip An phone. oyster? Yeah. What is that? T-Mobile, baby. I had the Zach Morris phone. Oh. What's that? It was big. <laughs> it was big and you... And Oyster and, cell phone. Yeah, look up the... Why are we doing this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it. Oh, okay. Um, Oh, that thing is something. It looks like an oyster. I, I do kind of see it. Yeah. All right, so you had the oyster. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what I had. It was forever ago. But now, in England, the education secretary is set to ban mobile phones from English schools. Mobile phones could be banned from schools if the latest attempt to push the measure through is successful. This according to The Guardian. Gillian Keegan, who's the Secretary of Education, says that already head teachers have been uh, directed to limit phone usage, but now the guidance is expected to expand to all phones throughout the entire day. Basically, you wouldn't be able to have a cell phone in school. Now, here's what Gillian says. That mobile phones pose a serious challenge in terms of distraction, disruptive behavior, and bullying. It's one of the biggest issues children and teachers have to grapple with. So that's where she's coming from. Now, my, my question is this. We have a problem in this country with, uh, uh, especially post-pandemic, but this issue stems further back. We have a problem with our third grade reading. We have a problem with math, score, uh, 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 science, testing are all woefully under where it should be. Would this change that? Do you feel like if, if students didn't have 
this distraction in school, it would make them a better student. Or or if you were like us and you didn't have the type of technology on our phones that that, you know, high schooler would today. I mean, I, I, I don't know that it would be any more of a distraction or any less of a distraction. I think having a phone is more of a distraction. I think they should be taken away. But when I say they should be taken away, not for the whole day. I think when you walk into a classroom, you put it in a basket or you put it in something, and then you get whatever. Classes are like an hour, hour 15. So you get 45 minutes of un, undisturbed learning. And then when you're done with your work, go ahead, grab your phone. That's what I think should happen. I don't know. Again, I don't. I don't know that that makes a huge difference. I mean, I, I think it does, but kids are going to be, if you're going to be distracted, you're going to be distracted a whole host of ways. If you don't have a phone, you'll distract yourself some other way. That's true. But what about cheating? And what about the calculator? True. And what about? Well, I think you can use your calculator now on your oh, phone. On your phone? I think so. Oh, heck. I mean, I think so. Oh, my God. God. Why do you say it like that? It's a calculator. That's strange because you just get to like pull it out. I remember when. Oh, we you're were... sounding. You're dating yourself. Oh, a lot. Lord. When so no, I remember when we would be in school. We'd have to keep. We'd have to keep the phone like in underneath the desk or like sure. in between your legs, and you'd you'd have to you know you'd have to do you have to text that way. Yes. Well, I didn't have enough minutes to text, so it didn't impact <laughs> me, but someone else. So yeah, that this is now going to be bandied about in England, and and I. I, I do wonder if people think that, they, oh, you want to weigh in on this, 800-859-0957. England's going to propose taking away schools, taking away phones in schools. Should that be examined here? Is that something that we should consider? Taking away phones in schools for kids. Now, here's the other part in all this. Is, you know, if there is an emergency at school, if there is a school shooting, if there is some other emergency, do you want the kids to have a phone? I mean, the the reality is that those things could happen. So wouldn't it be beneficial to have a phone anyway? I read a story today where a girl got hit in the face. Uh, she's in high school. She got hit in the face by a binder. A boy hit her in the hallway with this binder. And she got this huge bloody nose, right? And she's in the bathroom. Where she, are you going with this? Okay, let me tell you. She's in the bathroom and she, you know, she's bleeding. She takes pictures of it. If she didn't have her phone, she wouldn't be able to take pictures of the bloody nose, the pain that she caused. She couldn't have gotten the other student right. in trouble if she didn't have that proof. That's all I'm saying. I, 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 I think we've gone, we're, we're past the point of being able to, to police this, I think. I don't think that would work here in the United States. 800-859-0957. We're talking UAW. We're talking Donald Trump as well. Uh, let's go out to Rod in Plymouth. What's up, Rod? Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, besides this New York and, and a, a couple of judges, they should be brought up uh, to their uh, New York State bar for fraud, which is actually just disguises their ignorance and their bias. But the thing is, is about these loan officers of these banks that loaned Trump and the establishment, his establishment money, they approved everything. If there was any fraud, it would have been committed by them due to they just wanted the interest on the money. If the loans were paid back, and like you had mentioned earlier, we, we still don't have all the, the evidence, the real facts. You know, right. A newspaper article is definitely not it, – it can – um, it can motivate toward evidence. Sure. However, it's not evidence. No. 
No, it, it could it can be used. You can submit it as evidence. But until you get your hands on the facts, the information, the statements, really the the, the nitty gritty, it's very difficult for me to say, well, uh, yeah, go after him. Because now, I, I mean, Letitia James looked like she was targeting Donald Trump. 800-859-0957. Let's go out to Steve in Livonia. What's up, Stevie? Hey, Chris. Good afternoon. Um, I have to admit, I don't follow this Trump stuff too much anymore because they've been doing it for seven years, and I find it kind of boring at this point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, listening to you right now, I'm curious who, you keep saying damage is paid. Who is getting the damages paid? Well, um, who was defrauded? Well, the, the, they say that the banks were defrauded in this case. And Donald Trump is like, I, well, what are you talking about? They're 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 pleased. Everything's good. And, and the, the, it's not just this. It's that Donald Trump is overstating his value. It, it's it, it's over. It's over inflating what Donald Trump and the, and the company's worth. But I don't see a victim here. So I don't understand. I mean, to me, with no victim, I don't see anybody bringing a claim other than the lady that. You know, she obviously doesn't like the guy, and for 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 half the country. Well, and this, and state. that's exactly what Donald Trump is claiming, Steve. That's exactly what Donald Trump is claiming. He doesn't see he doesn't see that they're there. Is what Donald Trump is telling you, and, and telling a, a huge portion of his base. Steve, I appreciate it. I'm up against it. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. We'll get to the top of the hour coming up next here on JR Afternoon. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money you think you may have, no one is above the law. That is Attorney General of the state of New York, Letitia James. The first day of the civil fraud trial against former President Donald Trump underway today. His sons, Don and Eric. Uh, also, other executives in the Trump organizations are amongst the those named in the civil case in New York City. Donald Trump is in the court. He is in the courtroom for this trial today, and this will determine if there are damages owed and if so, how much. That's according to a New York Supreme Court judge who found that Donald Trump and the co-defendants are liable for fraud in inflating their asset valuations on financial statements. Now, the trial is expected to go to mid to late December. And and Donald Trump has said that that this is it, it, this is a type of election fraud. This has to do with election interference, plain and simple. They're trying to damage me so that I don't do as well as I'm doing in the election. And the question I've asked today is, is Donald Trump right? Because Donald Trump has come out and said Letitia James from day one has targeted him. And, and, and he may be right. Because according to Letitia James, and I quote, he should know that we are here in New York, that we here in New York, and I in particular, we are not scared of you. And pledged to shine a bright light into every dark corner of his real estate dealings and every dealing demanding truthfulness at every turn. And you may think, well, I wonder if that quote is from, you know, a year and a half ago. Now, nah, it's from 2018 when she was elected. So she wasn't even elected and she was or she was hadn't even taken office. And she was already talking about targeting Donald Trump because he was a sitting president. So Donald Trump saying Look, I've been targeted all along. This is a witch hunt. I'm here to see it up close and personal. And 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 has taken Letitia James in the crosshairs because of it. Also, big the uh, big three, the UAW strike into day 18. More than 25,000 people 
of the roughly 150,000 rank-and-file UAW members are on the picket lines. And the uh, the assumption here is that more will be coming by the end of the week if both parties can't make serious progress on a negotiated deal. Now, Ford came out on Friday and slammed UA, uh, U, the union leadership in, in what has turned into some of the most public negotiations. Now, not literal negotiations, but but these aren't, you know, locked in a vault and it's only three people, four people with that are in the know. I mean, these are uh, some of this information should not be coming out. But I think because the way that Sean Fain has operated so far, the way that that Sean Fain has been so public in keeping the rank and file aware of these negotiations and where they stand, it, I, I think it's forced people like Jim Farley to come out and and, you know, kind of protect their brand as well, because they are also negotiating in good faith. Jim Farley came out and said that the union is, quote, holding the deal hostage over the automaker's four planned electric vehicle battery plants in the United States, presumably down south in Kentucky and Tennessee. And then, of course, the Marshall plant, which they've they've put a pause on uh, as these negotiations continue. So it's been it's it's very interesting the way that the, the public nature of uh, the discussions, how they are they are coming out into the public, so the rank and file, and and quite frankly, so the public at large can can see what's going on. Also, according to a new AP uh, NORC poll, in conjunction with the University of Chicago, Americans view college campuses as far friendlier to liberals than to conservatives when it comes to free speech. Forty percent of adults say liberals have a lot more freedom to express their views on college campuses while just 20% said the same thing at conservatives. Republicans perceive a stronger bias on campuses against conservatives, but Democrats see a difference too. At the same time, lawmakers in dozens of states have proposed bills aiming to limit public colleges from teaching certain topics that are considered divisive or too liberal. 30% of people, roughly one in three, say that states should be able to restrict what professors are teaching at state universities. Because again, they're getting state funding. They're getting they're getting tax dollars as funding. So it, it, it that is an interesting poll because I think certainly those on the right have thought that for, for some time. But college is a, is really should be a place for 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 open and honest conversation. It should be a place where ideas go to to be fleshed out and explored rather than than stifled. And that has certainly drawn a, a huge spotlight to the First Amendment and, and what that covers and what it should cover. Now, again, if, if you're a college student and somebody is coming to campus that is perhaps in direct opposite views of of your own, well, first of all, you don't even have to go. You don't have to participate. You don't you don't have to to be in attendance if you don't want to. It is a free country. Do whatever you want. But for 
the idea that there is a public perception, and I think rightfully so, that there is one side of the political aisle that is that is being stymied or muffled. I, I don't I don't think that's appropriate. I, I don't think it's appropriate on college campuses. Now, you want to talk about high schools, you want to talk about public public education in that way? All right, well, we, we can have a discussion. I'm, I'm on board for that. But the idea that that on college campuses there is a perceived bias amongst conservative voices, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's particularly appropriate. Uh, and it was a, an emotional day down at Comerica Park yesterday. Miguel Cabrera play, playing his last Major League Baseball game. And, and, you know, Jason, we talked a little bit about it earlier. It's like the best days of Miguel Cabrera certainly are behind him. But, I mean, he, he is arguably, and, I'm, and I'm, you can absolutely make the case, that we'll never see another player like Miguel Cabrera again. Now, I, you know, we're, what we're seeing out of guys like Shohei Otani is silliness. But in, in, the, in, the, in the case of raw power, in the case of, of just like baseball, um, baseball power and, and smarts, Miguel Cabrera is one of the best to do it. Best opposite field hitter I've ever seen. And it's the, it is the, that is it. I mean, for me, there are a lot of great power hitters, but it's not even opposite field. It's the ability to turn like a ball far inside opposite field. I mean, that takes an incredible amount of power. It, it, just the way he was able to hit every pitch around the plate. Yeah. Even in today's baseball, when umpires can't figure out what a ball and strike is. Now, what is your, uh, what, I heard this being discussed earlier. What is your favorite Miggy memory? Oh. And it's tough. I know that's a tough question. You know, here's the one that that jumps out to me, and it had no meaning. And it was a few years ago on opening day. The snowstorm? It was a snowstorm. Oh. And he took that ball opposite field, went out to to, to, to right field, and 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 hit a home run on opening day in a blizzard. And and it was one of those it was just the elements were unbelievable. And it was opening day, so people were juiced up. And 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 he again was 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 not in his prime, was dealing with injuries, didn't have the power that he used to. It was just a, it was just a nice moment. But but I mean there are there are a lot. He had a lot of big at bats and a lot of big at in, in big moments. I don't know why I thought of this, but do you remember when he would uh, get on first and he would give Adrian Beltre? Oh, well, he touch him on the head. Well, yeah, put his finger in Adrian his ear. Adrian Beltre hated people touching him on the head. Didn't want anybody to touch him on the head. Miguel Cabrera. He would. He would. Touch him on the head. He'd give him like a noogie. He'd put, you know, I, th- there's that one. There's that one play of Mike Trout on first base. Again, two of the best. Mike Trout on first base, and Miggy's putting his glove up to try to block his view from the pitcher. Like he he, he played. He had fun. Like he was like a quintessential. Like we, we talk a lot about it in sports. It's like you're playing a game. Okay, you're supposed to have fun with it. When you have fun with it, you're able to play more freely. That way, you play better, and it's better for the fans. Miggy was that. So it's it was it was a very great send off for Miggy yesterday. It was great. They did it. They did it exactly right. Kids came out, and the the signs in the in the crowd. Gracias, Miggy. It was great. It, it was unbelievable. 
And that place was electric uh, for one of the best Tigers to ever do it. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, we'll get to more here on JR Afternoon coming up next. 1,482. 1,482 deaths in Michigan in 2021 by suicide. It's 1,482 too many. And and over the last really an earnest few years, more and more and more is being made about mental health. More and more is being made about the resources that are available to help people that unfortunately find themselves in a dark place. And when you talk about 1,482 people's lives that could have been changed if they had the proper resources or the families that could have been changed if they knew about the resources available to to people who are really struggling. I mean, you are changing the, the, the trajectory of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people's lives, not only just in the state of Michigan, but millions more across the United States. And we just passed Suicide Awareness Month. And, excuse me, Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And it is something that we need to keep in mind every single day of the year. And I know the good folks at the Oakland Community Health Network are doing just that. Dana Lansbury is the executive director and chief executive officer of the Oakland County Community Health Network and joins us. Dan, it's good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And thank you for recognizing uh, September as Suicide Prevention Month. And I also will tell you, thank you for saying this every day of the week, 24-7, that this is something that is the center of what we do here at Oakland Community Health Network with our partners. Well, t- tell me a little bit about what you do, because this is obviously a very important venture for, for everybody. So, so t- walk us through a little bit what you guys do. Okay. Oakland Community Health Network is one of 10 um, uh, regions that takes care of the community mental health needs of Oakland County and there are others throughout the state. We're the safety net for people who are struggling with a mental health condition, those who are uninsured or have no insurance at all. And we provide support through our 190 service providers to more than 27,000 people across this county. And so there are others like us throughout the state that do the same and serve maybe many, many more and serve less, many less. But our job really is to be the safety net and provide those services and support that support individuals with mental health conditions, individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities, substance use disorder, and many of the combined. And so we're talking about individuals like you and I who may have a mild to moderate situation or condition going on that we need treatment and support to get through. And we're talking about individuals who require um, 24-7 support and services um, so that they can live their best lives. So we talk about the full range, but our focus really is how do we prevent someone who is feeling like there is no hope and they want to end their lives, but also we talk to people and families about other things we can do just to help people function. We know that our, our community has really struggled in the last few years with the pandemic, with the increased levels of violence that we see in our community. So our job really, like I said, I can't emphasize that enough, is to educate the community about who to call and where to go when they're in need. 
Dana Lassenby is the executive director and chief executive officer of the Oakland Community Health Network. I- I'm interested to know in the crisis center uh, about the crisis center, because I-, I think that when when and again, thankfully, I've never gotten to that point. But for people that do that dip so low, that feels like there's no way out or that there's no point in f- trying to find a way out. Those can be the hardest moments for people because they're, they're, the walls are closing in. The, the, the everything is becoming more constrained and you, you just don't feel like there's a way out. How do we get those people to recognize that there's value in 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 finding a way out and then giving them that path, making it clear so they know what's available to them? Talk to me about the crisis center and the resources. But but how do we target that specifically? First of all, I think recognizing that there is now a 988, similar to 911, mm-hmm. for people who are experiencing a mental health crisis. So 24-7, anytime, someone can call, anyone can call who needs help and support. The other thing is really, like I said earlier, the community education and talking about this and being ambassadors so that when people, they may not need the information now, but there are people who are listening to you and I now that do need the information. And so for adults in Oakland County, we have the Resource and Crisis Center Common Ground, which is in Pontiac, right on the campus of the Oakland County Exec's Office. And that is somewhere people or families can go 24-7. We also created a Youth Family Care Connection Center for young people less than 17 years of age can go when they're experiencing a crisis. Families are, we're seeing huge numbers of families with young people who are really struggling with their mental health. And so we also have that center available that's also 24 seven. So families and individuals can go there. There's also what we call diversion so that when individuals encounter the police, if the need is really about their mental health or need for substance use treatment instead of jail, they can actually go there and receive support and services and get engaged in treatment. What you've got degrees in psychology and counseling psychology and and and, and this has been it seems like a passion project for you in, in your career. What drew you to to this path? You know what I would have to say just growing up uh in a community where you see a lot, I think that and care a lot. And then none of us is above any of this. You know, we can always... It can find everybody. Somebody. Yes, there is no discrimination in helping and seeing people in need for their mental health services. So seeing a family member struggle with her mental health and, as a young person and then having really my first psychology class, I said, this is it. This is the way to help people understand what's going on with themselves and others and how to get those resources available. And yeah. I think... The biggest thing is just knowing what to do in those situations. Often families reach out to us because they're at their uh, roots in. They're at the end of everything. They're, they don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. But knowing you can call if you just have a question, you know, and I think that's the thing we need to welcome that question because sometimes that question and getting that initial question answered can lead to a lot more prevention and some of the serious things that we see sometimes. Well, you've got the 24-hour crisis and resource helpline. It's 800-231-1127. That's 800-231-1127. You've got the non-emergency access line, 248 
248-464-6363. And of course, uh, if you're, if you're, if you need somebody quickly, you just got to call 988. That's a suicide and crisis lifeline. Thank you so much for what you do. God bless you and all the work you. Uh, that you do with the Oakland Community Health Network. And uh, we, we hope to drive those numbers down uh, as as quickly and as safely as possible. Dana Lassenby with the Oakland Community Health Network. Thank you so much. Thank you. Got to take a break. More next. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. So Donald Trump was in court today for his his case, the civil fraud trial. And afterwards, and he said a lot of the same things that he said in, in court, which is that this is this is a hoax, this is election fraud. And and I just simply asked the question, does Donald Trump have does he have a point here? Because again, Letitia James comes out when she was before she was even uh, sworn into office as the attorney general talking about going to get Donald Trump, putting a spotlight on his business dealings, which at that point she hadn't had any, any evidence to, to carry that out. So does Donald Trump have a point in this particular case? 800-859-0957. You can call that number and you can text that number. Let's get a couple of those in. What's up, Danielle? What do you got? Oh, okay. So this Turn the is, mic. There you go. Yeah, yeah you very know, good. it's in a different spot this That's time. That's okay. All right. Margaret from Troy, Troy says, excuse me, but this accusation of Trump regarding inflation for loans is ridiculous. Where was the bank or loan grantor? If I use my house as collateral for a loan, an appraiser comes to my house to confirm what I think it's worth. This, smack, this smacks even worse of a frivolous lawsuit and all the loans were paid back. Well, that's kind of my point. And even if you're overvaluing, eventually somebody's going to go, well, wait a second. It's not quite that much. Although I think uh, his attorneys today said that Mar-a-Lago was worth a billion dollars, which is pretty wild. I mean, I don't I don't know about that. But that was the claim. Uh, okay, this one is from Leslie and Lake Orion. If Trump overinflated his real estate in New York, then I'd say he overpaid any property taxes based on what the DA is accusing him of. So Trump is actually the individual who was harmed as he paid too much to the state of New York. Well, I don't know that he would have been overinflated it beforehand. It makes sense that, I mean, it, it, I mean, just, I don't know why that would make, it, to me, it makes sense that the argument could be made that you overinflate afterwards so that maybe you're making more than really what you should be making after you paid for it. All right. This is Mike in Toledo. Chris, you don't need a licensed appraisal agent to know that it's fraud. When Donald Trump lives in a 10,000-foot square-foot apartment and he reports that it's a 30,000-square-foot apartment, that is fraud right there, right out of his mouth. Also, he doesn't have a 10-point lead in some polls. He has a 10-point lead in one poll. Uh, Okay. Semantics. But that's according to a poll. Uh, I mean, fine. Whatever. I mean, this 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 is the reality that Donald Trump is facing. And again, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. And and again, I, I've never called for him not to be investigated. And again, you've got the a Supreme Court judge ruling that that this can go forward, that he did, in in fact, inflate his assets on value, uh, asset valuations on financial statements, and he's liable for, for fraud. So th- this is more about what he's going to owe 
or if he does owe anything. But that's already kind of been adjudicated. But Donald Trump is saying, look, I'm 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 being targeted here. I'm being targeted by somebody who from the get go said they were coming after me. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Also, over the weekend, on Capitol Hill, a government shutdown was averted late Saturday after they passed a stopgap funding measure. Now, it was a deadline at midnight. I mean, by the time, you know, Guy got on the, the show this morning, you know, we could have been in a government shutdown mode. And there have been now calls on Kevin McCarthy's job, particularly by Matt Gates, the congressman from Florida. And, and a lot of Republicans and conservatives in Capitol Hill said, well, wait a second. We, we don't want to give up our leverage here. We've got the ability to not just pass a stopgap measure, but we've got the ability to kind of flex our muscles here. And we talked to Tim Wahlberg last week. And, and he agreed that you don't want to give up your leverage in these situations. And I think from a Republican's perspective is they were worried about owning that. They were they were worried that if this shutdown did go down, that it would be on them, at least in my mind. So that puts the Republicans, if that's the way they view it, in a tough spot. It puts them. It puts them at a disadvantage, according to somebody like Kevin McCarthy, because they don't want to own it. They don't want they don't want to be the reason why. Voters go against them. Now, I'd make the argument a little bit. That if Donald Trump is the workhorse that you think he is, if Donald Trump is going to be the guy to lead you to the promised land next November, then you just ride that. Because I, I, I don't see a scenario in which this carries over to next November. I mean, if, if you know, mostly if we see what, you know, for example, the decisions made around COVID and the fact that that didn't really translate in the midterms, you know, and, and you've got politicians coming out saying, well, maybe we would have done some things differently, including our governor. And that didn't hurt them. So I, I, I don't I don't know how long voters memories last. And if the Republicans felt like they had leverage, then they gave it up. But it's 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 this isn't over. It's a stopgap measure. They're just kicking it down the, the road. They're going to have to address it again. And, and that now has called Kevin McCarthy's job in question. And he's he said, if somebody wants to make a motion, make a motion, bring it. And I I think that is that is somebody who is understanding that his speakership could be in jeopardy. I just don't believe that. I think I think the Republicans are probably better off with Kevin McCarthy at the helm than than not. And then you you it would be disarray. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR, 800 Also. On a radio show out of New York, former President Bill Clinton agrees that New York City's right to shelter law must be changed. He told the show that Governor Kathy Hochul, who says that this law also should be modified, probably should. 
it's broken. We need to fix it, adding that the law doesn't make any sense. Now, here's the, the bugaboo. New York considers themselves a sanctuary city. And the law, which has existed for 40 years in New York, requires sheltering for the homeless. And according to Bill Clinton, he said they come here and we're supposed to shelter people who can't get work permits for six months. We need to change that, saying that migrants have a right to begin paying their way in American society. They ought to work. They need to begin working, paying taxes, paying their way. Most of these people have no interest in being on welfare. And while that may be true, it only goes to show that that cities like New York, cities like Chicago are being absolutely inundated, absolutely inundated with people from the southern border, mostly because those governors, Greg Abbott, for example, are busing people to other cities. Because they don't have the, the the infrastructure or, quite frankly, the desire to allow people in Texas. Uh, that's my read from, from Greg Abbott. So they're, they're bussing people everywhere else. And residents in, say, New York, Chicago, are having a real hard time wrapping their minds around people coming in and receiving benefits when a lot of those struggling in those cities previously weren't weren't being given the time of day. So interesting comments from Bill Clinton. All right, we got to take a break. Coming up, we're talking sports with Steve Courtney next here on JR Afternoon. All right, let's do a little bit of a, a, a potpourri here because we got a lot to cover with Stephen Q. Courtney. Hello, my friend. Hey, Chris. How we What's doing? What's going on? Everything's well, Let me just say this as we begin our conversation. It's brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Hey, Performance Remodeling, along with the Inside Outside guys, will soon be announcing the winner of their $100,000 window of Opportunity Sweepstakes. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter to win the next sweepstakes from Performance Remodeling. Chris, what do you want to talk about there, lad? Can we start with the good? Let's start with the good. It was a wonderfully orchestrated Final game for Miguel Cabrera down at Comerica Park yesterday, wasn't it? Uh, the whole weekend. Um, you know, kudos uh, to the entire Tigers organization. Uh, a storied career for Miguel Cabrera, and uh, they really uh, dotted all the I's and crossed the T's, didn't they? And, you know, as I was watching the uh, ball game and the festivities unfold, Chris, I promised myself that I wouldn't get emotional, but oh. there I was getting emotional. But uh, you know what? He got here in 2008 and uh, had a hell of a run, uh, obviously. Uh, it didn't win a World Series. Um, but, uh, you know, as I've said before, Chris, uh, I'm a little too young to remember the actual glory days of number six, Mr. Al Kaline. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, with his storied Old English D career, uh, Miguel has carved a place out for himself and, in Tiger's lore forever moving forward. Yeah, you can make the argument he's one of the best, but who cares? I mean, he he's one of the best that I'll ever watch. He's one of the best that I'll ever see. I mean, we, we talked, J- Jason and I were talking a little bit earlier. It's, it's the way he was able to, his opposite field power, and the way he was able to hit any pitch at any part of the plate. Well, you know, and everybody uh, remembers the power. And, uh, you know, to take it a step further, uh, he had such amazing bat control for a big fella. Yeah. 
Um, it was just, uh, you know, I, I think one of the uh, biggest cliches in baseball broadcasting, that was a fine piece of hitting. That was a fine piece of hitting by that guy. Uh, but Miguel did it time and time again. But, you know, I think above and beyond that, Chris, uh, it's just the way uh, he enjoyed. Played the this, game fun. You know, and always had a smile on his face, yeah. always chirping. When he was playing first base on a regular basis uh, and somebody would be on, uh, it was nonstop chatter, always with a smile. And uh, it was awesome. And the way he handled uh, the pursuit of the milestones. You know, 500 home runs, yep. 3,000 RBI. Uh, just, uh, oh, shucks, well, you know, I did it. But how about him going to first base yesterday? Oh, and there he was all by himself, Chris, all by himself. And that got to me a little bit because that was pretty cool. Baseball then, gods are real. Yeah, then Stephen Kwan just grounds it out to him like they were following some sort of Hollywood <laughs> script. It was insane. The writers are back in action, baby. Um, yeah. uh, let, let's, let's throw the mix bag in here. Michigan got to win. They look good against Nebraska, although Nebraska stinks. And uh, Michigan State just can't find a way. Statistically, the better team on the field, but they 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 couldn't get it done in crunch time. And you just, special teams killed them again. Well, you know, special teams and turnovers and penalties, and uh, this team just can't get out of its own way. I mean. Having been to Kinnick Stadium a couple times, it is a bizarre place to play, mm-hmm. a very difficult place to play. Uh, but the Spartans put themselves uh, to get a win under Harlan Barnett. And then uh, Cooper DeGene's 70-yard punt return with less than four minutes to play uh, certainly uh, put Iowa on their way to that 26-16 win. But, again, you can't turn it over uh, on the road in a Big Ten. Yeah, what, four, four times? times? No. Yeah. And then uh, – you know, there was a matter of the penalties as well. I think they were penalized 10 times, 95 yards. Mm-hmm. You're just not good enough to get away with that. And so I'll tell you this, Chris. Um, the Spartans on a bye week right now. And tell me this isn't coming at the perfect time. Yeah, it's team. a good time. They, they, they need a minute to regroup here. Um, again, they've been through the ringer. And very few, I think, what, two guys have left the program? Yeah. And, so... Uh, you know, I think it's a great time for the staff, everybody, just to be able to take a breath with everything that's gone down and continues to go on. Yeah. Um, step away for a minute and take a look at it. So uh, following the bye, they'll be on the road uh, to face Rutgers. And then, of course, uh, after that, uh, back to Spartan Stadium for the showdown October 20th with the uh, football Wolverines. And um you know, it's been a lot to digest for so many up there. Yeah. Uh, now the ugly, uh, as Ken Brown walks into the studio. Hello, Kenny. Uh, Hello. What did I miss? <laughs> uh, the ugly was that showing out in Rome. I love me a good Ryder Cup. That was not a good Ryder Cup. No. And, uh, you know, we were discussing late last week there, Chris, that, you know, you would actually rather watch the Ryder Cup than a Super Bowl. Well, you know what? Uh I changed my mind. Hold him to it. Hold him to it. <laughs> Hold him the to drug, it. 30-plus years since the Americans won a Ryder Cup on foreign soil. You go back to 1993 at the Belfry in Warwickshire, England. And, you know, look, they, they, they made a somewhat, somewhat of a match of it yesterday, uh, putting themselves in a position to maybe have uh, the biggest comeback in Ryder Cup history. 
clearly the writing was on the wall on on day one yeah. when you got Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka losing in historic fashion. Uh, rather unbelievable. Yeah, it wasn't going to be a good day. Danielle, do you have an update on Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey? Where Guess are you at on this? who was at the game again? Her name is Taylor Swift, and she brought a whole bunch of friends with her. Ryan Reynolds was there. Blake Lively was there. Sabrina Carpenter. Jake from State Farm. They were all there up in the suite watching our little boy play football. Not Jake from State Farm, for crying Jake out loud. Jake was with um, Kelsey's mother. No, it's Jake from State Farm. Yeah, he was with Kelsey. But don't forget Hugh Jackman. I, did I forget him? I yeah. might have forgotten Yeah, you him. did. He was but there. But she got uh, Jake from State Farm. Don't yeah. worry. Well, yeah. her mother got Jake from Apparently, State Farm. Apparently, they left the stadium separately. Uh, Danielle, oh. does, does this, does this kind of... Uh, put a damper on things are they not going out i don't know it's not real this Um, is all manufactured i'm saying that he had to take a shower he had to do you know a nice little shave action he had to make sure he smelled good and taylor was was ready to go she was like no i'll meet you at the restaurant you get all you get all you know beautiful for me i'll meet you there that's really what i think i think taylor swift is harder for cash and she needs a little extra dough so they're 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 really they're really pimping this thing. I think she should be banned from the NFL facility like Jay was for gambling. I agree. If Taylor Swift is on NFL property, then she should be banned for four games. Man. Her, Come her, on. her picture is in every, every front door Enough. of every stadium. <laughs> Steven, thank you. All right. Chris, have a wonderful day. Same to Danielle and even Kenny. Hello, Kenny. Steve. Hello, Steve. This guy is he is glistening today. Fresh off a wedding. Fresh off a Very wedding. Very good. And Everything go well, Kenny? Everything went well, good. studio. Beautiful. Been he is. He talk, talk about tired. This guy comes in, can't even pick his feet up off the carpet as he walks in. <laughs> Tiresome. Man. He was dancing all weekend. Heck of a weekend. Heck of a weekend. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Beautiful. Thank you very much. One to go. One to go. One, one to down. Go. One, one to go. Down, That's good. Go. That's what right. do you got coming up today? Uh, we're gonna talk about. Did the government shut down over the weekend? I thought nope. when I left, they got to stop gap spending. Oh, I thought this it was guy, gonna be shut look down. This guy. I thought it was gonna be shut down. He goes to have uh, you know uh, a surfing turf, and he doesn't even no, know what's going no, on anymore. No. Troy Weaver from the Pistons knows media day today over there. Yeah, they'll be joining us today. We're gonna have to talk to. Uh, Are they gonna play any defense this year? Yes, they will be. Playing. They will got you ask him that? The highest. Well, the second highest paid coach in the league now. Yeah. Since uh, he was the highest paid when they signed him. Good. But he's the second guy. He better do something. Better. Miguel Cabrera. Did you watch yesterday? Did yeah. you guys talk yeah. about that? Yeah. It's great. No, did they? Quickly. It's not like a movie, man. Did they actually hit the ball to him? That was yes. unbelievable. That was unbelievable. Yes. With Spencer Torkelson's glove and gave back up, to him. Set up. It was like oh, set up this guy. casting. But he thinks that Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are getting married. All right, Mitch <laughs> Album and the crew coming up next. It's going to do it for me. We will see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a good one.